Well, greetings, friends. It's an incredible honor for me to have this opportunity to share with you today. If you've been around Southridge for any amount of time, and particularly over the past number of years, you know that it's been a rather tumultuous time. As if the pandemic wasn't enough to walk through, enter 2022-2023 here at Southridge. My personal story, as many of you know, intersects quite significantly with the Southridge collective story. Now, I share some of that in the Finding Our Way podcast with Jeff, uh, episode 215, if you ever want to listen into that. I'm not going to go into too many details of that here this morning. But what I did want to say is that so many of you have been incredibly supportive, encouraging, and just prayerfully walking alongside Karen and myself. And from the bottom of our hearts, we simply wanted to say thank you. Four years ago, Karen, my wife, and I had the privilege of walking the Camino de Santiago. It's that 800-kilometer pilgrimage across northern Spain, and it took us just over 30 days. It was remarkable, both in beauty and scope and personal impact. Little did I know that it would significantly prepare me for what was to come this year. Let me share with you one of the lessons that I've been reflecting on since that journey in Spain. I've simply entitled it Stepping Out of the Shadows and Into the Light, or you could say The Journey from Certainty to Courage. Now, to frame this conversation in the biblical text, I'd like, you, I'd like to introduce you to two interesting individuals, one named Nick and the other Joe. These two leaders' stories are found in the Gospel of John. Both lived in the shadows for most of their lives, but they ultimately stepped into the light. They walked the perilous journey from certainty to courage. Now, just to give you a bit of an idea of who they were, both were Pharisees, which simply means they were more religious than most. Both were extremely committed to their religious institution. Both were of the ruling class, so their opinions mattered. Both were wealthy. And it's funny how money speaks in whatever culture and time you find people. Both were respected. I think people listened to them. And both were certain of their beliefs. They were, after all, teachers of the law. Both lived comfortable, safe lives until, until they encountered that rabbi teacher from Galilee by the name of Jesus. Until they, until they started to listen to his teaching intently, until they observed his compassion, they witnessed his miraculous healing love, until his life and example began to mess with their deeply held convictions and beliefs. It threw them for a loop. John, the writer, introduces us to Nick in chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, 
who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Wait, what? This ruling leader, this man with power, this leader with wealth and resource decides to meet Jesus at night? A clandestine encounter? Yes, that's correct. Now, we're not told specifically why it happened at night. But if we read into the Gospels, we know that there was growing animosity between the religious elite of which Nick was a part and, he, and this new rabbi, Jesus. You see, Jesus was challenging the status quo. He was questioning some of their long-held beliefs and in so doing was threatening the institution. He was teaching a new gospel. The fear and anger directed towards him was becoming palpable. But Nick, Nick is a curious guy. He begins, I think, to think to himself, there's something about this Jesus that I need to understand. I'd love to meet with him in person. Nothing like a good Starbucks to have a conversation to get to understand his heart. His curiosity was piqued. And he was willing to take a risk, a calculated one to be sure. So a meeting is set up at night under the cover of darkness. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Now I'm learning that curiosity is a powerful force. It actually opens doors to new possibilities. It sees people and circumstances in a new light. It propels you to ask questions, even when it might be risky to do so. And it can often take one on a perilous journey. Certainty, on the other hand, tends to be more restrictive. It can shut down creativity. It can put a damper on questions. It fights to maintain the status quo. Nick was curious, albeit afraid, cautious, and uncertain, not willing to take too big of a risk because he knew there was so much at stake. So he meets with Jesus. But Jesus hijacks the conversation. These were his words. He says, Verily, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It was a response that Nick did not anticipate. Instead of answering Nick's questions to start it all off, Jesus shifts the conversation toward a discussion of the kingdom of God and a novel idea about being born again. It confuses Nick. He's not tracking. This actually raises even more questions. Jesus, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. How can this be? How can this be indeed? I don't get it. You see, curiosity will do that to you. It often opens one to further questions, uncertainty, and even confusion. What do you really mean, Jesus? Now, in the account in John, the conversation proceeds in the direction that Jesus wants to take it. And John gives us that dialogue. 
And in so doing, he has Nick recede back into the shadows and out of the story. And it's only sometime later, about chapter 7, that we see that Jesus' notoriety is only growing stronger. Many are believing. The religious leaders and Pharisees are becoming even more fearful of him and what he represents. And so in an act of desperation, they actually send some guards to arrest Jesus. But ironically, these same guards come back empty-handed. Here's how the conversation goes. Why didn't you bring him in? The guards responds, no one ever spoke the way this man does. The Pharisees, you mean he has deceived you also? Have any of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Now, did you catch that naive statement? Have any leaders believed in Jesus? Of course not. They thought they were completely unified. Surely no one was breaking ranks with their group. You see, there's so much power in unity of perspective. But in that moment, the author John brings Nick back into focus. And we read, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of the number, one of their number, asked, does any Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? This is Nick's second courageous act. The first being that clandestine meeting at night. Now he speaks up. He uses his voice among his peers. It's a simple question, but powerful. Should we not first listen to him before we condemn him? I think it's a great question. Should we not fully seek to understand? Their retort is quick and pointed. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. Curiosity boldly questions the status quo. It is unsettling. It creates moments of fear and reaction, both internal in the participant as well as externally in the group. Nick has begun to step out of the shadows and into the light. It was a bold step to stand up to his peers. It took, I believe, great courage to utter those words. While their response is immediate and quite predictable, they disparage him and pay no attention to his insights, although they certainly should have. And again, the gospel writer allows Nick to fade into the background while the animosity towards Jesus only grows. And if we read the entire story and go into the end of the book of John, ultimately we see that the establishment wins the day, or it would appear that way. These powerful religious leaders believe they have the handle on truth. They have Jesus arrested, he's unfairly tried, convicted, and he's sentenced to death and ultimately crucified on a hill. It appears that all is lost.
but in a remarkable twist. In the darkest moment of the story, when Jesus is literally hanging on that cross, having breathed his last, the author John introduces the second character, Joe. And he says these words. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. A secret disciple of Jesus? Is that even possible? Apparently it is. The Synoptic Gospels give us a few more details on who this character Joe actually is. Mark says that he was a respected member of the council who himself was looking for the kingdom of God. Matthew says that he was wealthy. Another interesting comment. Luke adds he had not consented to the religious leader's decision to crucify him. I would suggest that most likely fear had kept Joe in the shadows. Like Nick, he was curious. He pondered deeply what he was witnessing in Jesus, but from the safety of the shadows. And then at the last possible moment, he takes a courageous step. He knows that his life will change in an instance, but he must act. He must come out of the shadows. John records, with Pilate's permission, Joe came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Even when it seems as though everything was lost, Joe decides that he can provide a dignified burial for the body of Jesus, likely using his own tomb. Now, I want to add a sidebar to this story. The accounts, if you read them, and I've only just kind of scratched the surface, also mention several women throughout this story. They also accompany Joe and Nick in this burial ritual. But more than that, they had been there throughout the trial and the crucifixion. In fact, at the moment when all the male disciples fled, these women stayed at the side of Jesus. They were remarkably courageous. And it's not surprising to me that they were the first ones allowed to see the resurrected Jesus just three days later. Well, what are we to make of these leaders and their example? Here's a few things that I see. Both of these men were heavily invested in a religious system that was both certain and unflinching. They found themselves in a polarized world, a world built and maintained around certainty. But as they encountered Jesus, their hearts were softened and their posture shifted. We also live in a very polarized 
world. We're routinely forced to pick sides, even in the church. The comments go like this. Are you leaning in a more conservative direction? Or are you possibly getting progressive in your thinking? Are you with us? Or are you against us? There doesn't seem to be any space for a middle ground. But on issues of life and death, issues that really matter, like race, inclusion, theology, and our understanding of the love of God, I would suggest we must do better. Certainty can become a straitjacket, preventing us from seeing Jesus from who he is. In my faith journey, I'm leaning into this new pathway that I see modeled by Nick and Joe. And I see it captured in five simple words. Certainty, curiosity, confusion, conflict, and courage. And it goes something like this. Certainty is what we all long for. It's noble. It's the desire for truth to understand. But I would suggest it is best paired with curiosity. Curiosity, you see, asks questions. It probes. It explores. It tests, which inevitably leads to a season of confusion, a season of questioning that is often unsettling. It's an uncomfortable place to be and inevitably leads to conflict, both internally, in individuals, and also within the group. But the way of Jesus is to press through the conflict to courage. Courage, I believe, is stepping out of the shadows and moving in a new direction, moving towards the light. About three quarters of the way along the Camino de Santiago back in Spain, one comes to a place called Cruz de Ferro. It literally means the Iron Cross. It's the highest point on the Camino, and centuries ago, this cross was erected right there on that hill. Karen and I arrived there early at dawn. The sun had not yet come out, but the moon was shining brightly. It was a magnificent moment. It was something I had been looking forward to for the entire trip, and I was not disappointed. On that hill, pilgrims routinely leave something of worth or meaning at the foot of the cross. They bring it and they leave it there as though they're leaving something that means something to them. It can be a most transformative place. I took along a small rock with the word courage etched on it. That rock and the word have great meaning for me. You see, like Nick and Joe, I have often found it easier to live in the shadows, in places of safety and comfort. But I'm learning that in following Jesus, I must move towards courage. I want to be a person who lives like my master. I don't want to settle for man-made certainty. I'd rather press into curiosity, step into the messiness of confusion and conflict so that ultimately I can be courageous. Many times in my life, I've been reminded of the words 
of our Lord spoken to another often fearful leader. His name was Joshua. It's in the Old Testament. And there we read these poignant words. Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The path is filled with mystery and with intrigue. But Jesus says, I will be with you on that journey. Certainty that leads to curiosity, often marked by confusion and conflict, with the breakout being courage. So friends, as we wrap up today, I invite you to just consider your own life. To what degree do you find yourself living in the shadows? Are you simply observing Jesus from a safe distance? Have you declared where you stand? Might it be time for you to step into the light? Is it time in your life to move from certainty through to courage? I can't guarantee that it will be an easy journey. It'll likely cost you, and it may be very challenging, but it is so worth it. In part of the dialogue between Jesus and Nick, in John chapter 8, Jesus adds these words. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Matthew flips that comment just a little in the context where in Matthew, he writes these words and he points them specifically at you and I. And he says, quoting Jesus, you friends are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. Friends, we're invited to step out of the shadows, to let our light shine brightly and courageously so that all may see and in seeing our lives, they will glorify our Father who is in heaven. May that be so. And as we would say on the Camino, Boin Camino. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for stories of leaders, men and women from years ago, centuries ago, that we hear about, that we learn about, that can help us shape the kind of people you're creating us to be. Thank you for what we've been able to just unpack. And I know it's just a start, but we do want to be people that don't simply stay in the shadows, but move towards your light, that we courageously are able to shine the light that you want to shine through us to those around us. So I pray for each and every one of us as we ponder, as we explore, as we wonder, what can I do that you would give us more clarity and more insight so that today and the next day we can just follow you that much closer as pilgrims on the way as you are calling us to. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for each one listening in, participating in what you're doing. 
May you encourage, strengthen, and bless us, I pray. Amen.